0: Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas with a simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that.
1: Our scripture reading today comes from uh, Psalm 23. So prepare now to hear God's word. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Another value that our church has is that we are better off hearing from a diversity of voices, men and women who um, have words to share and stories to share. And so with that, we'd love to open up the pulpit for our community to share, especially in this sermon series that we're calling, I Wish I Would Have Known. This sermon series really was caught on by uh, a question that someone asked me, which is, what do you wish you could tell your 20-year-old self? All of us, we wish that we could live with less regrets and truer to ourselves. and so this sermon series really is an opportunity for people to share their response to that question. This is what I wish I would have known. So today, we have the gift of having Rochelle Shelsworth with us. Come on up here, Rochelle. She's gonna share from Psalm 23. Would you please welcome her?
0: Good morning, everyone. I'm Rochelle, I've been coming to the Vine for about six months now, and I've really loved my time here. So I'm super excited to be sharing with you guys this morning. Like Mark just said, we're in the Wish I Would Have Known series, and so I thought it'd be good to start off by just telling you a little bit about who I was when I was 20. So I grew up here in Austin, and when it was time for me to go to college when I was 18, I was pretty desperate to get out of Texas. So I left, and I went to California, And so when I'm 20, I'm a junior in college, and I'm loving every minute of being in California. I'm on my own. I'm exploring LA, hanging out with my friends, just totally embracing life. But it's also the time of my life where I started to experience anxiety for the first time. This is a picture of me when I was 20. I had just gotten gotten my first, sorry, my third tattoo, um, and it was of a lily. Whenever I had experienced anxiety, um, a lot of people would point me to the Matthew 6, 25 through 34 passage. And if you're unfamiliar with the passage, the overview is that Jesus is telling us that we don't need to be anxious because if you look at the birds of the sky or the lilies of the field, they're all taken care of and we're more valuable to God, so we'll be taken care of. It's a really great passage. I mean, I got a tattoo of it, so I must have really loved it but it didn't really hit my anxiety at the core. Jump forward 10 years to last summer, over the course of those 10 years, I had been experiencing anxiety throughout the years, going to therapy off and on to learn different coping skills and process through anxious thoughts, but for the most part, I was just kind of living with the anxiety. Um, Last summer, like I said, um, it was a specifically hard time for me. I was experiencing a lot of anxiety. At that time, anxiety looked for me like I was crying a lot throughout the days, but anxiety looked like a lot of different things for me, which I know for you guys it probably looks like a lot of different things as well. Sometimes it looks like me spiraling in my thoughts about the The idea of losing people that I love, sometimes it looks like full-on physical panic attacks. Sometimes it looks like not being able to fall asleep because I'm relentlessly replaying something that happened that day. I'm sure we can all kind of relate to some aspect of those. But last summer was specifically hard, and so I jumped back into therapy. And pretty early on, after a few sessions, my therapist helped me to realize that I feel pretty alone in life. Like I'm just experiencing everything that has happened to me all alone. So for me, that Matthew 6 verse about not being anxious didn't really give me an answer to not feeling alone. It made it clear that God's a provider and he'll take care of my needs. But it still felt to me like God is like way over here and I'm over here navigating through life on my own. Um, So instead of a distant provider, I discovered this picture of God that did for my soul what I had always wanted Matthew 6 to do. I had been reading through the Psalms last summer and discussing them off and on with my therapist, and she began encouraging me in the Psalms, specifically Psalm 23. Psalm 23 took this idea of God and me being totally distant from each other to being together through life. It gave me this deeper understanding and like a visualization of God's intimate involvement in my life and an understanding of who God is as our good shepherd. So David is the author of Psalm 23. And like I said, he uses Psalm 23 to explain God's character in a similar way to a shepherd. And David's super familiar with this because he actually started off as a shepherd in his life. So today we'll be walking through Psalm 23 kind of verse by verse to have a better understanding of this aspect of God's character and how he experiences life with us. But before we jump in, probably as Americans, we've never interacted with a shepherd. I can guess that that's true for most of us. So I thought it'd be good to talk about some characteristics of what makes a good shepherd. So first of all, they should be up here. Yes, a good shepherd is a protector. So he does whatever he can to make sure that no threats come upon the sheep. The shepherd is a provider. He does whatever he can to make sure that the basic needs of the sheep are met, food, water, rest. The shepherd knows each, is sorry, knows their flocks intimately. So specifically knows when a sheep gets lost or one is missing. And then a good shepherd is a constant in the life of the sheep. So they can always rely on him and look toward him. They know he'll always be there. So now that we have a good idea of what a shepherd is, let's take a look at verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I personally find a lot of comfort in reflecting on the Lord as my shepherd. I'm someone who plays out every scenario of every single situation, And it's kind of like a love-hate relationship for me. Um, I don't love it, but I do it anyways. And I do it so that I can feel prepared and protected through life. But thinking about how the Lord cares for our basic needs gives me a lot of freedom to not feel like I'm alone in everything I'm doing. I I don't have to have every single thing figured out because God is with me and will care for and provide for me. I do wanna talk about this one tension that I kind of feel in the scripture though. I struggle to bridge the scripture to our reality. I feel like there's a big gap there because while I'm fortunate enough to have all my basic needs met, obviously there are people in this world who are suffering and they don't have all their basic needs met. It's really hard for me to hold the two things at once, that God is our shepherd and we have all that we need, And that the reality is that people don't have everything they need. But I think this is a tension that we're going to feel throughout this whole psalm. And I don't necessarily have a specific answer for it. Um, I think the reality is that David was on the run a lot in his life, specifically when he was writing this psalm. And he was fighting for his life and probably didn't know exactly where his next meal was going to come from. But at the same time as that, he believed deeply that this is the character of God. So I think we can do the same. We can believe that these things are true of God's character without exactly knowing how they work out. I know it's kind of tough and probably really tough for some people to kind of hold this tension, but I encourage you to hold it with me as we walk through the rest of these verses. Specifically, the next three verses that dig into God's character as the good shepherd. So the next verse, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Before studying for this sermon, I would read this verse and feel an overwhelming sense of peace and relief of the Lord caring for my soul. I'm not necessarily a nature kind of girl. I um, have some friends that go on yearly camping trips and they just know not to invite me because it would be an absolute waste of time. Um, but I cannot deny the overwhelming peace I feel when I'm surrounded by nature. Take a minute to imagine with me this scene. You're laying down in the middle of a lush green meadow. The sun is shining down on you through the trees. The birds are chirping around you. There are flowers surrounding you. Definitely no bugs at all around you. Then you get up and you wander a bit until you come across this beautiful glistening pond. Maybe you stand there and take it in. You sit by it, dip your feet in the cool water, and just kind of enjoy the moment. So this verse has always made me imagine this exact scene. And I've always thought it's so wonderful that the Lord knows us deeply enough to know that we need this kind of rest and stillness, and he's eager to provide it for us. So I think there's a ton we can actually take away from this verse without even digging into the historical context. But I think in this case, the historical context does give us a little bit more insight into God's character. So we'll start with the location. Up here is a picture of the desert of Israel, a green pasture, which is not super green at all. And there's no water. (laughs) It's in the middle of the desert. And the water that this verse is really, referring to specifically is talking about water that's left over from rains, which the rains were pretty few and far between because we're talking about drought-stricken lands. So we're not imagining those like lush green pastures of Ireland that, that we'd normally think of with sheep. You can see that picture here. Yeah. Pretty big difference between the two. Um, but what we're talking about is, de- is the desert in Israel. And this isn't a surprise to the shepherd, obviously. That's where he lives. What's also not a surprise to him is two things. One, that in order for the sheep to rest fully, they must be filled up on grass and water. They must have those basic needs met in order to rest. And then two, he knows that his sheep will not drink at all from moving waters, the water has to be completely still or for them to be able to comfortably and safely drink. And so he will do whatever he has to do in order to create those still waters. These few specific details tell us about the Lord's kindness toward us. Like I said earlier, I find a lot of comfort in him knowing about and actually caring for our basic needs, just like the shepherd knows and cares for those basic needs of the sheep. But this text is also highlighting how the Lord knows the way our brains work and, like, what our deepest fears are. And His response to us is kindness. I remember as a 20 year old feeling super panicked about what my future would look like. I struggled to envision what my life would be like after I graduated a year from then. I had constant questions circling through my head. I'm sure a lot of you can relate. You know, what would my job be? Would I stay in California? Would I move back to Texas? Would I get married? Would I have kids? Who would my friends be? Endless questions. And my biggest fear around them is that nothing would work out and I would just make a total mess of my life. I wish I could go back and tell my 20 year old self that the Lord is her good shepherd. He is kind, he knows her exact fears, and he has and will continue to provide for her so that she can rest. The psalmist continues talking about this in the next verse. He restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So the word restore in Hebrew, it's a fun word called shub, and it means to turn back or return. So I've always read this verse, he restores my soul, to mean something like the Lord is giving us joy in sad times or renewing our spirit, which is completely true and a valid way to read the verse because it's true of who the Lord is. But if we replace the word restores with returns, then it makes it a lot clearer that in the metaphor, the sheep has literally been lost. He's not on the right path anymore anymore. And the shepherd is in charge of returning the sheep to be under the shepherd's care. Now, it's no surprise to learn that when the sheep get lost, they become completely terrified. Terrified not only because they're no longer with their sheep and their shepherd, but also because there's a lot of danger in the desert. There are a lot of animals that prey upon the sheep, and the sheep have no way of protecting themselves. So... Their immediate response is to just go and hide behind a rock or a tree, and they just stay there until the shepherd comes and finds them. So there's absolutely no chance of them returning to their flock without the guidance of the shepherd. And what's so beautiful about this is that this is specifically a key part of the shepherd's character. If he's a good shepherd, and we know he is, he will not lose his sheep. George Lamsa, a Syrian author, wrote a book called The Shepherd of All, and in it, he writes this about the shepherd. The quote's up here. The shepherd is very careful about the paths because he loves the sheep. And for his own name's sake, he would do anything to prevent accidents and attacks by the animals. He has to keep his reputation as a good shepherd. A handful of years ago, I personally went through a pretty intense period of doubt. Despite having been in church since I was about 12 years old and having studied the Bible in college, it was like all of a sudden I couldn't even comprehend how Christianity was real or even made sense. I, it was a big time of suffering for me, and I felt super lost, really uncertain, and like I was under constant spiritual attack. And then it felt like all of a sudden my faith was restored, and I personally was restored. So when I look back on that time, I can totally relate with the sheep in this verse. I was scared and uncertain and didn't know my way back. And I was completely reliant upon the Lord to return me to the path he had for me. And he did just that. And I didn't experience any shame or judgment when I was coming back to the Lord. I didn't feel those things because he was kind and faithful to me because he knew how terrified I was. He knew all of my feelings, just like the shepherd knows how scared the sheep are when they are lost from the sheep. This is the Lord's character. When we get lost or veer on to a different path, he will do whatever it takes to find us, restore us, and carry us back to the path he has for us. Not only because he loves us, but it's because it's what a good shepherd does. Now, this next verse is kind of like the verse for me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I feel like this verse is one of the most relatable verses in this this psalm. It acknowledges that when we go through hard times or sufferings in life, that fear and loneliness are real feelings that we might and probably really do feel a lot of the time. At this point, I'm a year into therapy and I've been meditating on Psalm 23 for also about a year now. And whenever I find myself in the midst of hard times or sufferings, I recite this verse over and over again to remember what is true, that these things, these hard times that we go through are sadly expected in our broken world. And that I'm free from fear. I'm not left alone to experience these things on my own. The good shepherd has the tools to comfort me. So this is a picture of the valley of the shadow of death in Palestine. Uh, As you can tell, there's a lot of jagged rocks and that path at the bottom is pretty narrow. So it's a really physically daunting, valley for anyone to go through, nevertheless for sheep, a big flock of sheep and a shepherd to walk through. These valleys were also known for bandits to hide in, so it was a threat to their lives as well. Now, if you're anything like me, you may be thinking, if these valleys are so dangerous, like, let's find a different path. Let's take the easier path. We don't need to go through this and just let's avoid it altogether. But one I think that would ruin our metaphor here. And two, what I have read is that these valleys are essentially unavoidable. It's not like the shepherd is like, do I want to take the easy path today or do I want to take the hard path? The shepherd knows that no matter what path he takes, he may have to go through these valleys. What we also know is that when the shepherd gets to this point on the path, he moves from leading his sheep from behind to leading his sheep from the middle, So he gets into the middle of his sheep, and they gather closely, and they move through the valley together. And as the shepherd is in the middle of the valley, he has two things. He has his rod and his staff. The shepherd's rod was used to specifically um, defend against any threats that came upon them because, like I said earlier, the sheep have no way of protecting themselves, And then the staff, specifically that crook part at the top of it was used to grab sheep in case they fell down a cliff or started to slide down a crevice. So by understanding this bit of context, we can clearly see why the sheep are so comforted through a threatening situation. They are assured that they will make it through because the shepherd with the physical protection of his rod and his staff is nearer than he typically is, in the middle of his sheep, experiencing everything with them and leading them through the valley and out of danger. As I mentioned earlier, I have a tendency to play through every scenario possible to prepare for anything. If I had to guess, this habit of mine uh, started when I was in college probably, and there's not a specific thing that happened that made me start doing this, but as I look back on my time in college, if I didn't have a plan or a solution for every potential problem that could come my way, I would live in fear until I could figure it out. I was fearful that something bad would happen to me, was fearful of being out of control, fearful of the life that I had created being changed forever. I mean, obviously no one wants to go through suffering, but I was specifically terrified of it because I felt like I'd be totally alone in it. I felt like if I, had to, if I had to problem solve every potential situation because if I didn't, I didn't, I don't know who would. Psalm 23 teaches, though, that suffering is unavoidable, that we aren't alone in the suffering, though. That doesn't mean that we go, when we go through hard or uncertain times, we won't feel the sadness or the anger or the disappointment. Rather, it means that when we experience those real emotions, we can have hope. Our good shepherd is with us in the middle of our anxiety, in the middle of our uncertainty, and in the middle of the unknown. And he's there with us so that we might know that he sees us and knows us and loves us and is actively protecting us. We can be assured that we'll make it through these valleys because God is with us through it all. So at this point in the psalm, David kind of changes things up a little bit. (laughs) The next verse reads, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So to me, It's kind of like we're reading an entirely different psalm here with a totally different metaphor, but I see the themes being the same. One, that we are not alone, and two, that God loves us intensely. Let's start with the first main point that's reflected in this verse. The idea of God preparing a table for David in the presence of his enemies reveals God's deep love for David. At various times, we read about David being on the run for his life from his enemies, enemies that hated him so much that they were desperate to kill him. But we learn from this verse that the Lord is willing to host and feed and enjoy time with David in front of his enemies. We see the same kind of devotion from Jesus in the Gospels. Think about the story of Zacchaeus. If you aren't familiar with the story, you can find it in Luke 19, but I'll kind of give you a little overview. So Zacchaeus was a tax collector that wasn't liked by most of the community because he stole from them and gave to Roman occupiers. And so he was a real enemy to Israel. But in front of a big crowd, Jesus called to Zacchaeus and invited him over for dinner. And the crowd was obviously shocked because why would Jesus want to have dinner with someone like Zacchaeus? But Jesus proceeds unfazed and has dinner with him. Jesus was willing to commune with and show hospitality to people like Zacchaeus in front of their enemies at the risk of his own reputation. He was willing to show love for all people, and that's exactly what we see here with the Lord and David. The next part of this verse says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. This is revealing how grand that hospitality of the Lord is the act of anointing your head's guests with oil or making sure their wine cup is never empty or there's always food on their plate are things that are usually saved for the most honored and beloved guests. So what we're seeing here is that the Lord is willing to go above and beyond for David without a care for what anyone thinks to show David and his enemies just how much he is loved and cherished. We saw a really similar type of love to this, In the first five verses of this psalm, between the shepherd and his sheep, the shepherd is willing to go above and beyond to provide for the needs of the sheep, not only because it's his job, but because he deeply cares for the sheep and knows exactly what they need. David makes sure that we're left with this promise in the final verse. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell with the house, in the house of the Lord forever. So just as the shepherd is present with the sheep at all times, the Lord's goodness and mercy are with David at all times. And wherever David goes, he is in the house or the presence of the Lord. As we go through life, whether we are going through, we feel like everything's going well or we're going through some kind of suffering, we can move forward knowing that God's goodness and mercy are with us and that his presence never leaves us. I think to understand this a little bit more, it's best if we kind of dig into the words goodness and mercy. First with goodness, I kind of like to think of this as the opposite of evil in this text. As we encounter sufferings, which we all know are unavoidable, it can feel all-consuming and like everything is going wrong and there's no good. I have a habit of Uh, listing out all the bad things that have happened to me when I feel like I'm not experiencing any goodness. I've done that just this summer. It's been a pretty tough summer for me. Um, I got back from vacation in May and we are going through a house renovation and it was massively delayed. And then I'm pregnant and I got COVID and then followed by a stomach virus. And then I got laid off. And then just this past weekend, we learned that our contractor uh, would be leaving the job before it was finished. So like, Pretty, ter- pretty terrible summer. And so it's a real challenge for me to believe that goodness is following me all the days of my life. It makes me feel like the feelings of frustration and disappointment that I'm feeling are invalid. And like I'm supposed to just say, it's okay because God's with me and he's good. But I don't think that's actually what we're supposed to say. I think God's goodness following us all the days of our lives means that we don't have to be hopeless, that when we're struggling through life, we can have hope that evil will not win out, and we will make it through the end with God's goodness protecting us along the way. Like the sheep going through the valley of the shadow of death, they will experience all the hardships and fears associated with it, but they will simultaneously feel hopeful because the shepherd is protecting them and moving through the valley with them. Now, when it comes to the word mercy, when David is in the valley of anxiety and suffering, he's experiencing that mercy. And it's with him all the days of his life. Kenneth Bailey is an author, and he writes a really wonderful explanation of this mercy. He says... In our text, David seems to be affirming that he lives his life with all its fears and dangers with the awareness that following behind him is a God who both supports him out of covenant faithfulness and at the same time extends grace or loving kindness to him that he does not deserve. David is confident in life because he is assured that he has a God who is devoted to him and he is with him all the time and we can do the same. God is with us all the days of our lives. We are dwelling with him daily, and we are not alone in this life. Therefore, we are empowered to move through life with the struggles and all, with a sense of hope and confidence. I wish that I could go back and tell my 20-year-old self that she's not alone, that she has a good shepherd who knows her and loves her and will care for her every need not only because she's valuable to him, but because it's in his character. I've been learning this idea of the good shepherd for probably my whole faith journey, but, and I've literally just given a sermon on it now, but it's something that I feel like I'm still learning and I'm still understanding what it means for God to be a good shepherd. So maybe this is totally brand new for you, or maybe you've heard it a thousand times, Either way, my hope today is that you walk away reminded that the Lord is your good shepherd. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. He knows you better than anyone else, and he has no plans of leaving you to navigate through life on your own. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your constant devotion and presence toward us. We pray that in the midst of suffering and hardships, that you um, would make your presence known and that we, we would be confident that we have a good shepherd who sees us and hears us and knows us. We are so thankful for your love for us. In your name we pray, amen. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about the Vine, get connected to our community
1: or contribute financially to the Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.